Hello, and welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. I'm Pastor Joshua Curtinback, and today we are celebrating the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. Our sermon text for today comes from the Old Testament reading from the book of the prophet Amos, chapter 7. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son. But I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Despite Solomon's great wisdom, at one point in his reign he became slack, and fell into the temptation to please his many wives by building them shrines so that they could worship their own gods and idols. Because of the sin of idolatry, the Lord told Solomon that his son would not inherit the full kingdom, but rather it would be taken away and given to another. That other was Jeroboam I, the son of Nebat. The Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him that he would receive the kingdom, and that if he would walk according to the ways of the Lord, he would never lack a son on the throne. However, Jeroboam sinned, for the only temple was in Jerusalem. He was afraid that his subjects would become disloyal to him and eventually become loyal to the king of Judah if they continued going to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship three times a year. And so he built two temples, one in Bethel in the south and one in Dan in the north. These he dedicated to the Lord, the God of Israel. But he placed within them golden calves. He chose men as priests from among the people. He ordained them to serve the Lord in these temples. This was directly against the Lord's commands, which specifically forbid sacrifices and worship apart from his chosen temple, which forbid the building of idols as objects of worship, and which forbid anyone other than the sons of Aaron to be priests. Add to this sin the fact that Jeroboam either instituted or ignored the institution of a syncretism with the local pagan religions, for also idols to Baal and other pagan gods were set up in these temples and around them. Because of this, the kingdom would be taken from Jeroboam's family and given to another. Yet they continued on with the same practice despite promising God that they wouldn't. Now, two hundred years after the first, we have a second Jeroboam. This Jeroboam followed in the footsteps of the first. Israel was filled with high places where God was worshipped alongside idols, and Bethel was supported by Jeroboam as the royal temple, 
the place where he would go to offer his sacrifices and to have his feasts, for it was close to his capital, Samaria. The Lord had been sending his prophets to the kings and the people of Israel for many years, calling for repentance, offering the promise of salvation. But there was no repentance. There was instead the spurning of God's words and his prophets, a rejection of God and his ways for those who had come for those that they had come up with themselves. Now the Lord was going to bring judgment if there was finally no repentance. Amos the prophet is given a vision where he sees the Lord standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. The plumb line was a tool used to measure the straightness of a vertical wall. If Amos didn't understand the meaning of the vision, the Lord makes it clear to him when he says, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Setting the plumb line in the midst of Israel meant that the Lord was going to judge him, to see how the house of Israel measured up. If the walls of the house of Israel were not straight, if they did not match up with the plumb line, it would be condemned like the collapsing building that it was. The plumb line of the Lord demonstrated the crookedness and sinfulness of Israel. It demonstrated his idolatry, wickedness, corruption of justice, and oppression of the poor. No more would the Lord turn his eyes from Israel's sin. No more would he ignore it. No more would he pass by it. The high places, which were the shrines and altars and temples on the hills, dedicated to any number of gods in addition to the Lord, would be made desolate. They were never to be built. They were never to be worshipped at. And soon the Lord would do away with them all by his act of judgment after centuries of unrepentance. The sanctuaries, especially those at Bethel and Dan, which had the backing and funding of the government, would be laid waste. Not only this, but the Lord himself would stand up against the house of Jeroboam with a sword, because he, as king, had the responsibility in ancient Israel to lead the people into the ways of the Lord, to make sure that justice was done, and that the people would worship the Lord according to his commandments. In response to this preaching from Amos, Amaziah, the high priest of the syncretistic temple at Bethel, sent a message to the king. He knew that if Amos' preaching was successful, that the people would abandon the temple at Bethel and would instead go to Jerusalem. This could cause them to be disloyal to Jeroboam, just like the first Jeroboam thought. But more importantly for Amaziah, it would put him out of a job. And so Amaziah calls for Jeroboam to do something about Amos, to get rid of him, arrest him, exile him, kill him, something. After no response from Jeroboam, Amaziah takes matters into his own hands. He finds Amos while he is preaching to the people at Bethel and says, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Amaziah puts the worst construction on Amos's preaching. He does not think he is sent by God. He does not think that he wishes repentance for the people, but that he only took up the mantle of prophet in order to make money. Go to Judah, Amaziah says. You'll make money there. You'll be filled with food. They will appreciate you. Leave here. We're content. We don't need you. The king and the kingdom have chosen this place, and you are disrupting it. This could be no further from the truth. Amos did not choose to be a prophet. He was not from a prophetic family. I was no prophet, he says, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. He was a herdsman. 
He oversaw other shepherds. He tended and ate from the sycamore trees. From this the Lord called him, called him from being a Judean shepherd to going to the north, to Israel, to prophesy there that they might repent. Even if he would find nothing but obstacles and opposition, he was to go. He could do nothing but follow the Lord's command and go and prophesy. To do anything else would be to abandon the one who called him. And it's easy for us to simply dismiss Israel here. We don't practice syncretism. We don't mix elements of false religion into ours, the true faith. Yet, we ought not dismiss them so soon. Jeroboam and other kings earlier than him dismissed Amos and the prophets before because they justified their actions and weighed them against other nations and saw themselves as measuring up. At least we worship the Lord. The surrounding nations don't. So what? We mix in other gods as well. But surely God is content that we worship him alongside. Surely he's happy enough with that. And this is something we can likewise fall into if we're not careful. For just like our first parents, because of our sinful flesh, we're very good at justifying ourselves, at excusing ourselves, and our own actions and errors, and for blaming others. It's very easy for us to look at our own life and to think of ourselves as doing pretty good, to measure ourselves against unbelievers or wicked criminals and say, at least I'm not like that, I'm not so bad. We may even chalk it up to weaknesses of our nature and think that can't be that bad. After all, I'm only human, as the saying goes. It's easy for us to minimize and even ignore our own sin, to measure ourselves against others. But when we measure ourselves against the law of God as found in the scriptures, when we do not use crooked measures, but instead use the straight plumb line of God's word, we see our error closely. We see our sins which we've been hiding, our sins we've been ignoring, even those sins we may have been excusing. This is the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word to convict us of our sin, to point us to those sins that we need to know, to show us our sin, to show us clearly how we don't measure up against the good law of the Lord. In light of this, we must repent, as is the Lord's good and gracious will. For that is what the Lord constantly calls on us to do through the Scriptures, to know our fault is a blessing that we may repent of it, to recognize we don't measure up, to turn away from sin, to detest it because it leads further away from God and his good will for us. It doesn't lead us on the straight path, but instead to destruction. And the Lord wills that we repent, that we turn to him and turn away from our sin and from ourselves. He wills that we don't ignore or excuse our sins, but rather that we confess them and lean on him for mercy and forgiveness, for he is merciful. For the same scripture, which shows that we don't measure up, also shows the remedy that he himself has provided. In the 107th Psalm, it says, He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. And wisdom says, For neither herb nor poultice cured them, but it was your word, O Lord, that heals all. This word is none other than the word, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, who took on flesh in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who preached repentance and the gospel throughout Judea, and who gave his life to save us. The scriptures throughout the Old and New Testament testify about this word, about the salvation which the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, brings to all who believe in him. As it says in the gospel, according to St. John, 
All who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For by the grace of God, for the sake of Christ's satisfactory sacrifice, when we believe, that is, when we have faith, when we trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven and we are justified. We are made right with God. For Christ in his life on earth always measured up perfectly to the plumb line of God's law. And now we who believe in him receive his righteousness. Our own righteousness cannot avail. We can't measure up. But by God's grace through faith, we have Christ's righteousness. So that when he comes again to judge the living and the dead, we who believe will be found righteous for Christ's sake. We will found to measure up for his sake. Because we've been justified, because we have been made right with God, and because he has renewed us by the Holy Spirit through the word, we are able to desire and to follow the will of God. Not because we're saved or justified by doing that, but rather we follow him because he has already saved and justified us. For he has done better than passing by our sins. He has forgiven our iniquity and atoned our sin by the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Thus the plumb line of God's law now also functions for us as a guide, so that we may know what to do in order to please him who saved us by his grace. One of those things is sharing the good news with others. For we know that no one can measure up to the standard of judgment because of our fallen nature. And we, like our Lord, desire all to be saved. Thus we may share this good news of salvation through Jesus Christ with our loved ones, our family, our friends, and our neighbors. For when we serve them in love by our good works which flow from faith, we have the opportunity to speak of the hope that we have within us, that they too may share in this blessed hope of everlasting life. However, not all will be glad to hear the good news. Not all will want this hope, especially when it forces us to recognize our sin and turn away from it. It may cause strife within our family or between friends. We may face backlash or harsh words from those that don't want to hear the gospel. It can be especially discouraging, especially when those people are close to us. But like Amos, let us take our refuge in the mercy of Christ our Savior, so that even if the worst construction is put on us or our motives for sharing the gospel, even if we lose friends or become distant from family, we know that we have everything in Christ. We know that he has called us through the word, forgiven our sins, and regenerated us and claimed us in holy baptism. And even now he upholds us by his word and sacraments. Even if we lose everything else, we have Jesus. His promises are sure. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. And he, the God of our salvation, will restore us again. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon this day, for the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. We pray that you would have a blessed week. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen.